0: My first thought when I saw this was there are going to be so many people cheating in technical interviews now because they're just going to get the question, run it through the bot. (laughs) And it's like, oh, great. I got this perfectly optimized answer. Hooray. (laughs) I mean, I I had a quick look at some of the questions that it was answering before, and it's all those kind of like very high level competitive programmer type questions, like all the stuff that you get asked during like a fang type technical interview.
1: Ensure your intellectual property is protected and code is complying with international standards. The SaaS company Rewind offers automatic daily backups and rapid recovery for GitHub with auto reports, Amazon S3 Sync, security assessments, and more. You can visit rewind.com slash four slash GitHub to see if it's a fit for you. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast. I am Ben Popper, the director of content here at Stack Overflow. And I am joined today by my wonderful co-hosts, Matt and Cassidy. Hi, everybody.
2: Hello.
0: Hello.
1: So we have in the past talked a bit about GitHub Copilot, which is a machine learning AI system trained on lots and lots of code. And, you know, you're in there working on something, you can kind of ask it to build you something and it will spit out its best suggestion. Cassidy, I know you played with this a few times and Said that it was interesting, not something that felt intimidating, like it was going to come and take your job, but certainly nice to have. And then a story came out based on a press release from DeepMind, the Google-owned or Alphabet-owned AI sort of collective, about something they're calling alpha code. And so I guess, to put this in context, what is uh, interesting about this one is that it actually took a sort of open test that it's given out to developers which it ran through 10 sets of sort of problems if i wanted to do you know this how would i how would i solve it and scored better than half it was in it was like in the 54th percentile or something like that so a very average but i guess surprisingly human score wanted to get your thoughts on this i know in the past we we've, we've sort of like touched on these stories and the answer is always well it'll replace the lower order functions and then we'll be freed up to do more interesting things. But what's, I guess, interesting to me about the fact that it came from DeepMind and they're calling it alpha code is these are the folks who actually built the the system that mastered Go when everyone said it couldn't be done. So (laughs) yeah, let me throw it over to you, to the two of you. What do you think when you see stuff like this, exciting, interesting, funny, frightening, all of the above?
2: Overall, I think it's interesting. We did talk to one of the AlphaGo developers on a previous episode of the podcast, and I think this stuff is is really, really fascinating. I I play Go a lot myself. I've talked about it plenty on this podcast, and I was a part of a research study recently, and it was interesting to see the results, how most people who participated in the study said, oh, this is actually pretty cool that AI has kind of beaten humans, because now we can just use it to solve more things and learn from it, and it's cool that we can learn from it. And I imagine that there will be like multiple sides to this kind of hot take of it being better than or as good as the average human programmer, where cool because we can kind of learn from it and Mm. the education side of it, I think, would be really, really interesting. And then, like you say, it would be nice to work on more interesting problems because it's solving stuff for us. But I don't think jobs are at risk anytime soon. <laughs> there's too many nuances and and too many legacy systems, too many things where I think there's such a shortage of developer jobs and developer talent and just problems that need to be solved where great that AI can solve some of these problems. It's awesome and and we don't have to reinvent the wheel anymore for some of the problems that it can solve. But I still think that we got to watch out because it might be a biased team training this biased AI. And so we want to make sure that that code works for everyone. There's there's still a lot that has to be done before Mm-mm. this would strike any fear into my heart.
0: <laughs> okay, Matt, what about you? Yeah, I think give it another like 20 years and we're going to have some really really interesting stuff going on. My first thought when I saw this was there are going to be so many people cheating in technical interviews now because they're just going to get the question, run it through the bot. (laughs) And it's like, oh, great. I got this perfectly optimized answer. Hooray. (laughs) I mean, I I had a quick look at some of the questions that it was answering before. And it's all those kind of like very high level competitive programmer type questions, like all the stuff that you get asked during like a fang type technical interview. And it's interesting that you mentioned the educational component as well, because it would be really interesting to see this kind of stuff. Say, for example, you're learning programming, you're in a school, and you have this AI that you have a problem that you don't know how to do, you feed it to the AI, and then you can see the steps it works through to kind of like solve that problem. And it becomes more of an educational tool to show us how to do things rather than obviously the scientific element is, is good as well, answering questions we don't have the capacity there answer at the moment. It's really, really interesting too.
2: There's definitely parts of me where even like when I was first learning how to code and then now with VS code and and all the different plugins and stuff available, I see people, I'm just like kids these days, they're able to just get by with their shortcuts as they build these apps, these newfangled things. I had to learn on notepad and hand compile my Java and I'm sure that there's going to be elements of that in the future where we're going to be kids these days. They have AI solving these very core elements while they get to do the fun stuff. I'm sure something like that will exist.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think like one of the interesting things for me working at Stack Overflow and doing this podcast is that it demystified the art of programming a bit. You know, there's kind of that meme of the movie hacker who's like staring into the matrix and typing away furiously (laughs) and unlocks whatever door they're trying to get through. But in reality, working at a company that's building lots of software products, you know most of the big challenges are around like making architecture decisions or working with the architecture decisions you made <laughs> 10 years ago, you know, and trying to like move forward there or hiring and retaining great people and getting them all to work together as opposed to kind of Matt, what you alluded to, like the almost gamified challenge that this AI system can solve, which is closer to like solving puzzles.
2: Right. I think writing a new code base is very, very different from maintaining an existing code base. And if an AI can help with the new code base, great. That might get new startups off the ground faster. And that might let people build new things faster. But maintaining it over time is a whole other animal (laughs) entirely.
0: (laughs) That I think at least from what I see from the the more niche functionality of of this AI stuff is it's going to have a lot of impact in like the scientific community. That's kind of where I would have thought this kind of thing would be really useful. Like people who are working on, I used to work when I was living in Amsterdam, we had this project, we were working as part of the Netherlands, like national supercomputer network. And they were doing stuff with like black hole projections and like all this kind of really crazy stuff and having an AI that can help kind of like brute force or like figure out those types of problems without stuff that we can't really comprehend. I think that that's going to be really, really, really cool. But as for like today's software, like making a crud app, maybe, maybe not.
1: <laughs> and I guess, right. Like I wouldn't want to meet this sort of sad robot who's just been trained to maintain. Like that's uh, a, <laughs> makes you think of purpose? like Chappie or something, you know, it's like, yes, a robot <laughs> could do this, but would they want to, would that be a very grumpy robot?
2: Well, there's plenty of grumpy humans doing some hardcore maintenance work that they might not want to be doing. So if a robot could be grumpy instead of a person, I'm all for it. Yeah,
1: exactly. You had mentioned this before Cassie, but I guess one of the other things that would be exciting, which I don't think we really saw here because they talked about it in the AlphaGo paper would be saying, you know, Oh, it came up with some novel solutions, which is what started happening with AlphaGo. That was really interesting was, you know, making moves that were contrary to the received, the, you know, received wisdom that really threw, you know, the best players for a loop of sort of like what this doesn't, you know, accord with normal Go strategy. So here, we're getting to the point of oh wow I can take a competitive test and you know it would pass the Turing test you'd think a human you know decently skilled humans on the other end but it's not right saying like nobody's ever tried this solution before let me show you something you've never seen before you know that is right. sort of that next mm-hmm. level of kind of and that's that's where I start to get afraid you know it's when it's like doing things people <laughs> haven't done then Thinking I I see glimmers of artificial general intelligence and I get afraid.
2: Very, very fair. I think we've got plenty of time before I'm afraid of anything. And I'm genuinely excited to see where it might go, just because, again, on the education angle, I think this could be very, very huge. And that personally, it excites me the most. And the thing that I'm most concerned about is making sure that, again, it's a diverse team training it. So that way you get the best results and the, the most perspectives.
1: So I know we always say well, we won't talk about crypto web through NFT on the on the show, and then we always manage to do it at least once. So this <laughs> week, Cassidy shared a link with me to a great YouTube video, which is extensive. I think it's a two and a half hour video, and it's called The Line Goes Up, which traces some of the zany sort of over-the-top price gains we've seen in the world of crypto and tokens and NFTs, kind of traces those back to what happened with the subprime mortgage lending crisis and you know how that led to you know the sort of financial collapse of of 2008 so not to like you know dig too deep into it but I guess what's interesting is yeah just the fact that there are some fundamentally interesting I think not everybody does technologies that have you know come out of Satoshi's white paper and blockchain and I think there are some admirable ideas in web 3 about decentralization and sort of like user ownership and governance but there's also now A way in which those technologies and their success or their hype or people's adoption of them has been connected to coins and pieces of art needing to increase in value always need to go up and to the right Right. which isn't, isn't isn't really sustainable and so yeah i guess you know that to me is definitely an interesting sort of point and one worth making which is that like we haven't yet found kind of the utilitarian everyday value of some of these technologies in which They just make our email or our data storage or our video call better without needing to be a speculative asset that's worthwhile in large part because somebody thinks it's going to be worth a lot more money tomorrow.
2: Yeah, and I got the link to this video from someone named Dylan Northrup. Hey, Dylan, thanks for listening to the show. And (laughs) that type of stuff is really interesting because, I mean, we've talked about it plenty on the show. I'm skeptical about some things, excited about other things, Hopeful, and also, ah, I don't know how this is going to go when it comes to crypto things. But I do think that when it comes to like contracts, and I mean actual like physical paper contracts that you sign between people and stuff, and those kinds of transactions that happen between humans, I think that is a really powerful use case that isn't necessarily something where money needs to exchange hands. And mm-hmm. that's why it's not like the hot type of topic that you talk about when it comes to crypto or NFTs or anything. People want to talk about how you can get rich quick and buy the constitution or whatever.
1: <laughs> you mean make it for the people.
2: Yeah. I saw I saw this giant Twitter thread of people who bought a copy of the book Dune. I don't know if either of you saw it. Oh, that, that was
1: a sad one. I felt bad oh, for I those love people. Darren.
2: Yeah. So they bought this really old copy of the book Dune, and they thought that buying it meant that they could get the rights to dune like the one that just had this gigantic multi-million dollar movie that just came out and they were just like oh we're going to be able to make things for the people and and like a web show and various other pieces of content based on it then they're like wait that's not how this works and then also the person that did buy the book based on everybody pooling their money together didn't realize the tax implications of cashing out three million dollars worth of Ethereum or whatever. Ooh. The screenshots of the Ugh. discussions of how he was trying to figure out how to avoid the tax bill. It was both very funny and very sad, I gotta say.
0: Poor guy. It sounds like as if I'd went down the road to buy a copy of Harry Potter and I was like, Cool, I'm gonna make a new Harry Potter movie. Harry Potter nine Mets, you know, it, was that the logic? Am I understanding that correctly? That was the logic. Oh, no.
2: I know. But it was a really old copy. So
1: They were sort of like, yeah, we got the first edition. We can set it free. It can be yeah. for the people. We make a video game, a good one that, you know. Yeah. Unfortunately.
2: Anyway, I think there needs to be a lot more innovation and education in this space as well. Right.
0: Because yeah. otherwise
2: you end up just taking a lot of people's money and allow for tax
0: fraud right watch this space i've had a look into crypto i'm kind of familiar with with what it is and how it works in the blockchain and everything else but to me coming at from more of an outside perspective it still seems like people are treating it much more of a get rich quick asset yeah that should be increasing as opposed to something that has actually got like any utility for like e-commerce or transactions or buying a coffee down the road or doing anything like that am, am i wrong in saying that You're
2: not wrong. I think that's the hype around it is people are like, we're finally going to be rich and we'll retire early. We're going to be the next Winklevoss twins, stuff like that. But I do think that there are some coins and concepts out there that are interesting where I've seen, like, okay, well, if you do like proof of stake versus proof of something else, gosh, I forget the name of it, then it's better for the environment. And there's like some carbon. Yeah, exactly. That's what it is, proof of work. And then there's some like, carbon neutral coins and initiatives for crypto that I think are very interesting, but need more hype. And then there's coins like Quant, for example. I've heard that one has a lot of real utility to it for transactions that happen in the world, but they're kind of quiet under the surface and maybe big someday, but you don't know quite yet.
0: For anyone who's listening, who's maybe trying to get an understanding of blockchain and crypto, do you two have any resources that you would immediately point to as a good kind of learner or explain all type thing?
1: Actually, yeah, the video that started all this is is pretty good. You can skip the sort of like connection to the financial collapse if you want and Maybe you don't agree with the uh, sort of assessment they make about, you know, where the NFT speculation is headed, but they also do a great job in there explaining where Bitcoin came from, the Satoshi White Paper, and then layer one, two, three protocols and, you know, sort of how people are using blockchain technology. So we'll definitely put a link to that in the show notes.
2: Yeah. And I think it's worth to looking up Angie Jones. She is now doing a bunch of really cool DevRel stuff for Block of formerly Square, And their crypto division and and she's been running a lot of educational twitter spaces and and discussions and stuff to get more education out there on the topic
1: all right i want to give a shout out to bill the lizard who i won a lifeboat the other day veteran stack overflow user with with lots of rep has helped lots of people for sharing a regex on twitter to solve any wordle puzzle so no longer will i be bested by my wife Day in, day out, and have to be (laughs) forced to look at the little green squares. Now I have the regex. Do either of you get down with with Wordle.
2: Yes. And man, I'm very happy for the creator and getting Wordle sold to New York Times and everything. And I just Hell
0: yeah. Seeing
2: the news, I just saw developers everywhere like, I should work on my side projects. (laughs) I
0: I just thought that was really funny. Yeah. (laughs) he sold it for how many how many zeros was they said low
2: seven figures
0: yeah sevens yeah
2: my heavens wouldn't that be nice
0: (laughs) i'm really curious if you had a side project that sold for low seven figures do you know immediately what you would do with that money
2: i don't know if it would be like here's what i would spend it on it would be more like okay well i don't have to work anymore i'm going to get a financial planner to help me invest things so i can not need a job that's probably the direction I would go in. And I emphasize need because I don't think I would be able to just like retire and sit around, but like be able to work on things without having to worry about the financial aspect.
1: This might be the ultimate sort of developer, you know, rags to riches story. It's like just me and my partner, I made them a fun little word game just so we could get through the pandemic together. And then, oops, it caught on. Now it's a huge sensation and now I'm really rich. So good for you, (laughs) indie web developer.
2: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> genuinely happy for him because that's why i can find
0: no wrong i'm really curious as to what his because uh, the guy's name was josh waddle yeah a to o off being wordle uh-huh. and i'm curious as to what his background is because you you see a lot of the really successful kind of indie stories i guess come from teams of developers who are working at google or facebook or meta or whatever that might be and it sounds like because i haven't heard his background mentioned or he was just your kind of you know, average, every software developer just getting along, had a little side project that blew up. And I, I feel like we need more stories like that. Not everybody has to be a top tier ranked competitive programmer to be able to build something useful.
1: Yeah, this Josh Wardle only worked at Reddit. Come on now. They haven't, they're not even a public company.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I really appreciated all the memes where it's like Microsoft saying, well, I bought Activision Blizzard. And then Sony saying, well, I bought Bungie. And then New York Times comes in with a big crowd. Oh, I bought Wordle! And people are shrieking <laughs> out.
1: <laughs> also, as always with any uh, project you created and then became very popular, his major sensation when it all was not joy, but relief, that he will no longer be mm. the only person maintaining that. <laughs> yes. Oh,
2: gosh.
1: <laughs> now there will be a whole team devoted to uptime on Wordle.
2: That's like the person who made Flappy Bird back in the day was just like, I took it down because I couldn't handle the pressure.
1: And yeah. Yeah, exactly.
2: That's what happens.
1: All right, everybody. It is that time of the show. We are going to shout out the winner of a badge on Stack Overflow. We don't have any fresh lifeboats. So today I will shout out GNL, Royal Swish, and Tracy, all of whom in the last six hours were given the inquisitive badge. Ask a well-received question on 30 separate days and maintain a positive question record. So thanks for coming on the network, asking lots of questions and questions that were great and people liked and people learned from. We appreciate it. I am Ben Popper. I am the director of content here at Stack Overflow. I average 2.7 guesses on my Wordle. No, I'm just kidding. It's way higher than that.
2: <laughs> I was going to say, dang, Ben. Yeah, no, I'm just
1: kidding. That's a lie, <laughs> but I'm going to stick with it. You can always find me on Twitter at Ben Popper. Email us, podcast at Stack Overflow. And if you like the show, leave us a rating and a review. It really helps.
2: My name is Cassidy Williams. I'm head of developer experience in education at Remote. I have a 100% win streak on Wordle right now, so watch out. I know, I know. Uh, You can find me at Casadoo, C-A-S-S-I-D-O-O on most things.
0: And I'm Matt Kianander. I'm the technical evangelist here at Stack Overflow. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Kander, M-A-T-T-K-A-N-D-E-R. And I haven't played Wordle in about three weeks, so (gasps) I don't know my stats, but I will do my first game, my first inaugural game for February today. I'll let you know how
1: it goes. Great. All right, everybody. Well, thanks so much for listening. We will get back to you soon with Matt's average number of guesses. Also, we'll just get back to you soon with a great (laughs) podcast. And thanks for listening.